programs we hear are going to focus on that period between uh, June of 1944 and VE Day in May of 1945. And we're going to start out with a couple episodes of Soldiers of the Press from that period, taking a look at the invasion in the first episode, and in the second, the focus is on soldiers marching to Rome. These programs are from May 25th and July 2nd of 1944. Five, four, three, 
No confirmation. What's the matter with London, anyway? Listen, kid, you've got one thing to learn. The U.P. is not verifying any invasion reports, false or otherwise, until they're substantiated by Allied headquarters. Chief, Chief, this just came in. Yeah? Break it up! All wires. Flash. London, under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, Began landing operations this morning on the northern coast of France. All right, you guys. Now, this is what we've been waiting for. We'll be over the target in five minutes, and if you ever scored a bullseye, now's the time. Did you ever see so many planes in your life? Sky's black with them, and not a single Jerry in sight. Say, Frank, did that correspondent get aboard? Yes, sir. New York by Collie Small. More than 2,300 American and British heavy bombers teamed up in a shattering zero-hour bombardment of northern France, sending an estimated 7,000 tons of bombs crashing on the network of German gun emplacements raiding the invasion coast. It was the greatest single attack launched against a single objective in the history of aerial warfare, and the battered Luftwaffe took the beating without putting a plane into the skies. The powerful Allied fleet moving ahead of the invasion armada... Of course I remember you. You're the Odisha of the United Press. That's right, Admiral. You came along in the bombing of the Tirpitz, didn't you? Yes, sir. But this is the biggest show I ever expect to cover. Nothing but ships as far as the eye can see. Battle wagons, cruisers, destroyers, corvettes, LCT. The mightiest fleet ever assembled anywhere at any time in the world, Mr. Disha. We have upwards of 4,000 ships, together with several thousand smaller craft. Torpedoes! Hard right, good off! Train those machine guns to starboard. Stand by with depth charges. Why the machine guns, Admiral? So the torpedoes. It's our only chance. Depth charges can do the rest. Gun position, three to bridge. Torpedo wing to starboard. Correct. There they are. Two of them. Torpedo track. Other one. Starboard bow. Fire. Blended. Over with the ash cans. There they go. Coming in on range, sir. Listen. German coastal batteries are opening up. Right, Mr. Disha. This is what we've been waiting for. Captain Ellison. Aye, sir. Bombardment will start at exactly 0400. It is now 0258. 
Stand by for general alarm. Deck watch, all ships. Stand by for general alarm. Ten seconds to go. Stand by. Five seconds. Down general quarters. All hands, man your battle station. Man your battle station. Notify the fleet to fire when ready, Captain. Aye, sir. I believe they are ready, sir. Then the order is fire. Urgent to United Press New York by Leo Disher. The Allied Navy poured tons of hot steel on the invasion coast of Normandy early today. The big Navy shells burst with terrific force, sending out red sheets of flame which subsided in billows of mushrooming dirt and smoke. The Germans failed in their attempt to break up the fleet with U-boats and coastal fortifications. Upwards of 4,000 ships took part in the action. Behind this mighty battle fleet, Thousands of landing craft, each carrying 120 men with weapons and small tanks, sped toward the invasion shore. We're taking water, Sergeant. All right, baby, get set. Hey, where's that United Press correspondent? Hey, Dick McMillan. Yeah? Move up to the front of the boat, Mac. You right. stick with me. Boy, what a way to spend the night. Nothing like it. All right, men. Before we get out, don't forget to duck and don't bunch up. Yeah. Right out. Urgent to United Press New York by Richard C. McMillan. Allied troops have breached the invasion coast of Europe and are storming ashore on the beaches. Each man was a walking arsenal. Some carried their Garand rifles, 80 rounds of ammunition and three grenades. Others bore grenade-launching Springfields. Others had Browning automatics. There were bazookas, flamethrowers, TNT pole charges, and all the other equipment necessary to reduce the enemy's fortified positions. Germans opened a heavy fire when our men were about 50 yards offshore. But most of the spearhead reached the beaches, shouting the battle cry. Come on, they can't stop us! Come on, Sarge, let's hold them up! Come on, brother, they can't stop us! Urgent to United Press, New York, by Virgil Pinkley. The $100 billion Allied invasion of Europe has just passed its first test to the battle cry of, They Can't Stop Us. These four words from an unknown American sergeant were uttered as the greatest military operation of history began. They transformed the coast of northern France into a roaring, flaming, crashing inferno. The battle of battles has finally been joined. But the job has only begun. We shall have victory, but only at the cost of blood and sweat courage, endurance, and the highest military skill. You have just heard the United Press Invasion Staff's dramatic eyewitness story of the Allied invasion of northern France. Other correspondents, the world over, are prepared to bring you other first-hand accounts. We will present another in this series soon. Be sure to listen. Meanwhile, remember to look for United Press dispatches in your favorite newspaper. Listen for United Press news on the air. It is your guarantee of the world's best coverage of the world's biggest news.
Sorry for you. You killed my best friend. Shot him down like a dog out there in the field. Like a dog. You never gave him a chance. My best friend, do you hear? My best friend. Talk all you want. Personally, I'll take a barrel of beer. Well, you can have your barrel of beer, brother. Personally, I'm going to get married when this war's over to the sweetest little gal in West Virginia. Ah, you're off your nut, Fitz. Hey, Mr. Vermillion. Yeah, Jim? Uh, me and Vic here, we got... <laughs> yeah, I heard you. You know, it, it seems to me that's all you guys ever talk about. Mr. Vermillion, you're a correspondent for the United Press, aren't you? That's right. Uh, now, come on, now, who's right? Me or Vic, huh? Well, I'd, I'd say you're both right. Hey, what do you but, mean? We both can be right. I'm sure you can. Get married and have your beer, too. Ah, now that's oh, not what I mean. Hey, get down, fellas. Get down. German mortars put a temporary end to that argument. We were standing on a crag at Artena, at the tip of an American salient, pointed at the German defense line on the road to Rome. Below us was a quiet valley scented with locust blossoms and poppies. At night, it sparked with fireflies. But in a matter of seconds, it became a roaring battlefield where men were bleeding and dying. Come on, let's get out of here. You said it, brother. Well, where are we going? We're going down that briar gully into that house there. Well, what are we waiting for? Come on, Mr. We made the dash down the gully across a hundred yards of open road into the house while shells burst on buildings to our right. There we found six soldiers waiting for the barrage to stop. From the house we watched the beginning of the battle toward Valmontone on the road to Rome. Boy, I'm glad to be out of that. Are you all right, Mr. Vermillion? Yeah, just out of breath, that's all. <laughs> Hiya, fellas. Mind if we join you? Not at all. <laughs> hey, fellas, what's that? That's our artillery opening up on the jerrys over there in those houses. See? Boy, listen to those babies. Hey, you know, they tell me on a clear day you can see Rome from here. <laughs> I'd like to see it myself, but not from here. Right, Mr. Vermillion? Wouldn't be surprised if you didn't do that one of these days. Hey, get down, fellas, get down! I wonder where we're going after Rome. Home, I hope. Rome to home. That's me. 
What are you yelling for? It's all over, boys. Well, guess where we move up again. Come on, Vic. Another day, another Jerry. Here we okay. go again. Come on, let's go. Come on, come on, Jim and Vic were the first out, with the six Yanks in the house veering off to the right. From all indications, it appeared that the Germans in the houses across the field had been knocked out. As my two friends advanced, I saw other troops getting ready to crawl out of the ditches to follow them. Suddenly, from one of the houses ahead, a German machine gun cut loose on the six Yanks to the right of Vic and Jim. As they fell, two threw up their hands. The other four just crumpled and lay still. Jim, we've got to do something about that typewriter. How many grenades you carry? Two. How many you got? One. I used up the rest doggone it. Well, three's enough to take care of that baby. Here, let me have him. What do you mean, Now, listen, dope. Somebody's got a cover. Now, come on. Give him to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Here. There. Okay. Now, look. Yeah. I'm going around to the side, and you keep your eyes open. Down, bitch. All right. Get down. Look, now's your chance. Go ahead. I'll cover you, boy. Okay. So long, kid. So long, Vic. Easy, Vic. Easy. Oh, Lord, take care of Vic. Take care of him, won't you? Don't let him get killed. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. Oh, God. He... No. No, they missed him. They missed him. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Keep going, boy. Keep going. He's going to run for it. Vic! Vic, run! Run, boy, run! Run! Vic! Oh. Vic. Vic fell. Fell just as he was within throwing distance of the enemy machine gun. When Jim saw his comrade fall, he sneaked his way inch by inch through the red poppies and locust blossoms to the body of his pal and removed the three grenades from his pockets. Then he turned his attention to the job. Don't worry, Vic. I'll get him. I'll get him if it's the last thing I ever do. Huh? Missed again, huh? Now let's see how you like this. Jim hurled the grenades one after another in quick succession. The next moment, he dove into a window of the enemy-occupied house. Nobody here. Must be in the next room. Ah, cripes by a floor. Door's shut. Well, here goes. Up with your hands, Cloud, and keep them up. You understand me? I understand English perfectly, Herr Father. That's just dandy. Where's the rest of your pals? Pals? Yeah, pals, buddies, men. Where are they? Oh, see for yourself. They're dead. Huh. Just three of you, huh? Yes. Okay. You and me are going back to my... <laughs> I'm afraid we're not going anywhere. At least not for the moment. i got plenty of time. I'm afraid you're wrong again. Say, listen to me. I'm you gonna... see, what you heard is a German artillery barrage. And that means counterattack. Go on, what are you talking and about? I'm just... simply telling you we are caught between two fires, my friend. Don't you friend me? You killed my buddy, you dirty Very swine. Very well, you... Herr Pilot. 
It's either kill or be killed. I have no choice. Shut him down like a dog. All right, you American swine. I should have searched the dirty crowd. Down there, I got myself killed. Uh, I... Uh, That's your own fault, buddy. Where did I get you? Uh, uh, hey, hey, let's take a look. Uh, stomach, huh? Got a first aid kit around here? Private Jim McGaw found himself in a curious, you might say almost a macabre predicament. Alone with two dead Germans and a third who was dying, trapped in the crossfire of American and German artillery. The blast from a gun was followed a split second later by the whistle of the shell and the explosion. Jim watched houses crumbling in the town, which he knew held shivering citizens in their own barren rooms, rooms as barren as his. The only difference was that Jim had company. Dead company. What, what time is it? I don't know. Close to midnight, I guess. Here, Private... Yeah, what do you want? What do you want? Stop it, will you? Stop it! Why don't you die? Give me Arthur, please. I've given you all my water, I tell you. You think I like to listen to you dying? Do you? Do you? Oh, why should I feel sorry for you? You killed my best friend. Shot him down like a dog out there in the field, like a dog. He never had a chance. My best friend, do you hear? Do you hear? What are you trying to tell me? Closer, please. Closer. I can't get any closer. Why, you dirty swine! Dirty Nazi rat. That's the last rotten trick. You'll play. Vic. Vic. Yeah, We did it, didn't we, boy? Sure we did. Yeah, you know something... Yes, I'm not going to get that barrel of beer after all. Yeah. Yeah, I know, Jim. I guess I'm not going to get married. Yeah, they... But they can't say we didn't try. They can't say we... two pals who lived in peace and war on the road to Rome lived again in death. It would be unthinkable at this moment that men of all nations fighting and working together for freedom should ever allow themselves to forget men like Jim and Vic. Because they died trying because they knew that it is only a victorious allied army that will restore the world. A world where human beings can live in decency and peace and happiness. With their fellow men.
Soldiers of the Press. Welcome back. Well, we turn now to some listener comments and feedback, and we begin with an email from Alvin Spivak. And again, I hope I pronounced the name correctly. He writes, Thank you for your The War podcast. I'm 86 years old and technically a veteran of World War II. I say technically because I didn't reach the draftable age of 18 until six months after the war was over. I joined the Army in February of 46 and never considered myself a World War II vet until several years ago when I learned that President Truman didn't declare the war officially over until December of 1946. I also discovered that I was awarded a victory uh, medal, which clearly I didn't deserve, as well as an Occupation of Japan medal, which I did though I never collected uh, either. Well, thank you uh, for your service, and also for those additional uh, insights on the war. And he then has four comments, questions. Uh, Number one, uh, I'm fascinated as well as grateful for the amount and quality of the recordings you provide on the war and wonder where you find them. Not that I intend to search, being quite contented with what shows up on your podcast, the musical ones that is. I'm a detective story fan on TV and DVD, but no longer have the patience to sit through those wonderful tales via audio. Chalk it up to old age. To repeat though, where and how do you find all those terrific programs? Uh, well, most of them come from archive.org or otrrlibrary.org. Those are the two uh, places uh, that I find probably 95% of the shows that we share on the program. Uh, your soldiers of the pr- uh, second one is your soldiers of the press offerings are of interest to me because they highlight stories from the United Press Correspondents in World War II. I was a wire service reporter in Washington, D.C., where I covered the White House, Congress, and politics for almost 25 years for United Press International. And he says, I wonder whether Soldiers of the Press was a wartime uh, UP product, or whether that news service uh, simply provided fodder to a separate company that did the broadcast. I also assume Walter Cronkite, a... Uh, uh, UP war correspondent in Europe in World War II was involved with or featured in one or more of those uh, broadcasts. The series was produced in-house according to the digital FTP, uh, dot com, which is a great source for information on Golden Age uh, video, and particularly the wartime uh, programming. Uh, it's been very helpful to me in my research. Uh, Walter Cronkite's uh, stories do appear, and we did actually do one Cronkite story already back in uh, episode 168, the Dry Martini story. And we may get to more Cronkite stories. It does kind of depend. I think I haven't worked it all out yet, but we have uh, eight or nine weeks left uh, in the series and quite a bit to get to. So we'll we'll see if we get into any of uh, further Cronkite uh, dispatches. Uh, the third thing he asked is, uh, uh, please don't take offense, but I'm curious about your pronunciation of the I vowels. I doubt your vocal inflections 
are native to Boise, Idaho. But like Henry Higgins, I'm always interested in the origins of human speech that I hear. My own nasal uh, inflections used to be native Philadelphia, where I grew up. But I mostly lost uh, those when I left the city for Army life in 1946 and then for professional life in 1949. Um, you know, it is, uh, I'm first of all not offended uh, after doing a podcast for about uh, seven to eight, we're in our eighth year, uh, kind of past any being offended on accent questions. It's kind of hard to tell with me. Because my family uh, traveled so much, mostly in the uh, Rocky Mountain and uh, Pacific Northwest, but some trips down south, and a lot of time spent around my parents, and my dad was very strongly uh, influenced by uh, a southern accent in uh, his mid-20s, early 30s, when he lived in that region of the country. So the exact origin remains a mystery, even to me. And finally, he adds, uh, the House of Squib uh, sponsorship of your latest podcast brought back memories of the wartime radio days. Uh, but I hadn't heard of the company lately, so I resorted, as usual, to Google. There I learned that the company, for quite some years, has been Bristol Myers Squib, the latter having been taken over or merged with the former. Uh, not important, but I thought I'd mention it. Well, thank you so much, and I do appreciate it. It's interesting to find out what happened with uh, so many of these uh, companies. Some really are still around, and it's amazing that uh, I can go into a, a store uh, and buy uh, the same brand of toothpaste that uh, sponsored the Bob Hope Show. While on the other hand, you'll find other... Uh, famous brands that were huge in radio like uh, the Fitch Corporation having gone out of business. Thank you so much for your email. It was uh, great to hear from you and to answer you. And we have one brief comment from uh, Joe who's uh, making his way through the series. And uh, he commented on episode 57, the Dear Adolph's uh, segment. Uh, and he says, uh, love the James Cagney segment. Uh, thanks so much. And that was a great series. And that's one, if you're curious to hear the rest of Dear Adolph, we played, I believe, about three episodes. But there's another ten. You can uh, check those out at archive.org. Well, that will do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The War. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Ken Curlin provides the opening theme music, KenCurlin.com. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.